Hello and welcome to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. Come back every second Monday to hear new episodes, and you can subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher for any Stitcher users out there, or add the show to an RSS feed in order to get automatic downloads of the show as soon as a new episode gets released. For more information and detailed show notes as well as links, you can visit soundofthemoment.com. And if you like the show and you feel like supporting it, the best way to do that is to either go to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is you listen to the show and give a favorable review or rating over there. And of course, if you know anybody who you think might be interested in listening to the show, um, please do spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver, and there's also a Sound of the Moment page on Facebook that you could like. This is episode number 10 for 26th of February 2018. We have reached double figures. My guest today is the German pianist and composer Christian Pabst. He has a new trio record that came out last week at the time of this episode's release. The record's called Inner Voice, and it features Christian accompanied by Marco Zanini on bass and Eric Kocher on drums. And my conversation with Christian will follow, but first, here is a track from this brand new album of theirs. This one is called Dante's Dream.
You just heard music from today's guest, Christian Pabst, piano player, um, from the new true album, Inner Voice. Christian, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks uh, for having me. I I always like to ask my guests to introduce themselves a bit um, as we begin this conversation, because I can't be sure everybody's going to be familiar with you. Um, so if you can tell me a bit about your background and, and stuff. Well, yeah. Um, hello, everybody. Um, I'm Christian and I'm from uh, Germany, but I'm living already for around 10 years, I think, in uh, Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. I'm a jazz pianist and, um, yeah, as you heard, uh, my, one of my main projects is my trio, my piano trio. Mm-hmm. But I'm sidemen also on a lot of different projects uh, spanning from jazz to pop. Um, and um, I'm a teacher at the conservatory in Amsterdam. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Cool. Um so maybe, I mean, that's that's already a lot of stuff. Maybe we can first talk about the album and then um, go from there. Um, so you, uh, first of all, maybe you want to talk a bit about the guys that, that join you on the album. It's a traditional trio with bass and drums, right? Yes, it's a piano trio because um, actually it's my third record and yeah. uh, I'm playing piano trio already for a very long time, but I never really did purely a piano trio recording. Mm-hmm. So um, I really felt the need to go back and, uh, you know, do really a purely a trio record. Mm-hmm. And uh, for that, I'm really happy to have uh, Marco Zinini from uh, Rome on bass. And uh, Eric Kocher from Amsterdam on drums. Yeah. And they're really uh, great guys. So yeah. I'm really happy to have them. Yeah, because you, so your first record was um, essentially a piano tree album, but with a with a trumpet player as a guest, right? Gerard Presenza joined you. Gerard Presenza, yeah, exactly. Yeah. As a special great, guest. Um, great trumpet player. And then mm-hmm. the second one was more of a large ensemble effort, right? You had like strings and stuff. Yes, it was uh, all, you know, more based on uh, on composition. So really like uh, arrangements specifically written for the trio plus uh, strings, horns, uh, and on one tune also, uh, uh, also vocals. Mm-hmm. So I think that also um, after that record, I kind of felt like I want to uh, make a record that's a little bit more free and uh, uh, improvisational. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. Has it has it always been the same lineup? The trio, the rhythm section was the same guys. Uh, no, actually not, because okay. um, you know I started out with, uh, with two guys uh, from my hometown. Basically, when I was oh, yeah. like yeah, when I was like uh, sixteen, I think we started together to play jazz, and we were in all these youth big bands together and uh, yeah. rhythm sections for a lot of bands. And uh, actually, I moved with uh, the drummer Andreas Klein. I mm-hmm. moved to Amsterdam to study. Yeah, and it kept on going for a while uh, in that original setting. But then uh, you know after a few. years, years to, uh, let's say um we all took different decisions in our lives so uh, yeah. uh let's say it was difficult to keep that uh, trio together in that setting um but on the other hand i'm also very um you know it's also good for me at this moment to uh, play with a uh, with a new lineup uh, mm-hmm. because these guys they play different so it's also inspiring for me to uh, you know go different ways yeah. with, the, with the music. Yeah. So how did you come to, to work with, with Marco and, and Eric specifically? Um, Marco I know already for for a long time. So we played a lot together in uh, in different projects, uh, accompanying uh, all kinds of saxophone players and singers. <laughs> and, okay. and going on tour a lot. We were in Turkey and uh, Lithuania, everywhere together. Mm-hmm. So we already had a really good uh, click musically and also on a, on a human level. So um, I asked him to, he was like the first guy that I thought about uh, when doing this recording let's say I heard him playing this music and yeah. uh, unfortunately he decided to go back to Rome yeah I was gonna say you you say paths diverging and, and then you play with a guy who lives in Rome so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but we recorded the record before he went yeah okay 
and now uh, you know he's calling me all the time and and uh, you know complaining about uh, the food in Italy and uh, the weather. <laughs> so uh, you know I'm saying okay, yeah. let's go on tour. I, yeah, take <laughs> you, you know, to Germany and. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I fly you over. No, but uh, for me, it's also, uh, even even though he lives in Rome, for me, it's important that, um, you know, I'm very, if I have a band, I'm very loyal to these guys. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think it's important for uh, for a band uh, not to change too much. And yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, if I can, you know, I'm trying to play with him as much as I can. Well, yeah, and Marco is anyway busy with a lot of Amsterdam-based projects. Yeah, exactly. He lived here for a long time. So I, I, I guess there is plenty of opportunity to, to, to keep hooking up with him and stuff. Yeah. And then Eric on drums, what? Yeah, Eric is, um, he's a, he's a Dutch drummer from Amsterdam yeah. and, uh, here in Amsterdam, you have this, um, this place at, uh, Holems and, uh, that's a jam yeah. session happening every Saturday night at the Overtome. Yeah. And, uh, we got to know each other there. And, uh, I mean, you know, this place as well, it's mm -hmm. a little bit a crazy place to, uh, to play sometimes because <laughs> <laughs> it's full of drunk people and, uh, it's very loud. Yeah. But le let's say if you manage to play there in a, in a, in a good way, you know, you achieved already something together Yeah. and, uh, we played there a lot together and, um, yeah, do, you know, developed, uh, some trust there and then um yeah we wanted to take it further you know yeah in a real band cool um and so um maybe we can talk a bit about the your compositional process because um you're besides being a piano player and 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 a, and a performer you're also quite the composer you write mm -hmm. film music as well um and um yeah i'm, I'm interested in how what does your compositional process look like especially coming to to the piano trio versus um, you say your previous album was much more about arranged stuff and this is much more about improvised things and, and, and being in the moment and stuff. How do you, yeah, can you maybe talk about your process a bit? Yeah, of course. So, um, I mean, the title Inner Voice was really consciously chosen because, um, yeah, with this record, I really tried to be independent of a lot of, uh, you know, opinions and judgments and really try to... Uh, kind of remember what's re what's musically really important for myself and what's uh, speaking to me intuitively, you know? So I really try to uh, not be too much intellectually involved in my compositional choices, but really mm -hmm. trying to be as much as I can, as you say, in the moment yeah. and uh, be intuitive. Um, and usually what I do, I'm improvising a lot and uh, recording myself and uh, I'm trying to really as I said, uh, be intuitive and not to think about it. And later I listen back. And if I find something that I really like, I take that mm -hmm. and I start developing that so that I really know I have something that, uh, or originates like, let's say in intuition. Yeah. And, um, for me, it's also really important to always have, you know, I'm, as you say, I'm writing also film music and I'm, you know, I'm really into films and literature. So I think, um, um, you know, I cannot avoid to have some kind of narration in my in my music, yeah. and that's important for the composition as well. That there's a, I always need to have a, a, a visual scene in my head for a certain piece in order to develop it. Mm. And um, yeah, but so there is literal like images of scenes that that are associated with each of the pieces. Yeah, that can really, you know, can really change from piece to piece. But usually, I let, let's say with the um, songs of Inner Voice, I think with each song, I have a very strong inspiration and a very strong uh, visual scene in my head that mm -hmm. I connect with these pieces. Yeah. 
But is that something that um, that you find in the outside world, or is it? Some, I mean, you obviously the album's called Inner Voice, so I suppose yeah. maybe I'm answering my question already by saying that. <laughs> but like, is it finding images in like in the outside world, or is it searching for or finding basically imagining those images? Yeah, I think it's a complex thing because, of course, you know, if, if I have this image in my mind, it's not that I'm trying to reproduce that image uh, one-to-one musically. It's mm-hmm. more that I kind of trying to recreate the memory of that image, if that makes sense. So, for example, I find a lot of inspiration, of course, in in the outside world, you know, on uh, when I travel or when I meet inspiring people or, you know, uh, books and films, as I said. Mm-hmm. Um but for me, it's like, you know, if something resonates with me, for example, in art, mm. it means that it speaks to something that's inside of me. So it's a kind of, a, you know, like a mirror thing. So, of course, it's inner voice. So I'm searching for stuff in myself. But of course, yeah. if an inspiration comes from outside, it means that it uh, it vibrates with something that's in me. Yeah, of course. But that's for me important to, to search for these uh, uh, these emotions that I, I find uh, true. And they can be, of course... Uh, you know, be set in motion by something external. Yeah. But is that something that you share with your bandmates then? Like, do they, are they aware of what, what it is that like where the compositions spring from? What is the image that you have in mind? With some of the songs, usually um, I'm kind of shy about that. So I keep it, (laughs) (laughs) I keep it for myself. Um, because of course, you know, like these kind of songs, they, they mean something very special to me. And then if you bring them to the rehearsal, they start to live their own life. And maybe the other guys, they also bring something musically to the song and the Mm -hmm. song develops. Um, but yeah, with some songs I share that, for example, I have this one song on my CD called L'Artique and it's inspired by the photography of the French photographer Henri L'Artique. Mm -hmm. He was like, um, uh, he was working in the beginning of the 20th century and, uh, for that song, which is also very much rubato, mm-hmm. um, I thought it could be important for them to have a look at these photographs. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you know, if it's if it's that concrete, let's say, yeah. I, I use that also to stimulate their inspiration yeah. when playing the song. Yeah. And so how um, how did the how did the actual recording process go? Because I I saw the there's a promo video right that I I checked out before we did this interview and it's quite interesting. There's there's sort of an something that struck me is you you mentioned how you recorded in one day right yeah and that that I've I've interviewed quite a few people who have said yeah we had three days in the studio it was great we could really try everything out and experiment and do stuff and and that's quite an unusual thing I think in the jazz world or at least it has been historically speaking. Um, whereas obviously you record everything in one day, but you, you actually mentioned that it's something that you wanted, right? Yes. I wanted it because I think it would be more honest, uh, considering the nature of these songs. So as I said before, um, I wanted to create something more intuitive and something that would be more in the moment. And I thought it would be really important to, uh, create a certain kind of urge and a certain kind of, uh, in the moment feeling in the studio. 
Mm. And uh, of course, you know, with other productions I've been involved, indeed, you have like two or three days and you really can try out things and develop stuff. But, um, you know, I always, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the second Miles Davis quintet. Yeah. And uh, back then it was also like this. And, mm -hmm. I, and I think this energy that uh, you can create by knowing, okay, we have one or two takes for this song yeah. uh, and that's it. Mm -hmm. It creates a different mental um, uh, focus when yeah. playing because you know okay when i play now this might be the last try that i have to get this thing right so yeah, yeah. and i think you can hear it you know like we all played really um focused i mean it was a really rough day like uh, i almost collapsed at the end of this recording <laughs> session yeah. but uh i think it helped for the for the energy of the music yeah and the way we play together that's interesting that you managed to have an approach like that without have without any fear somehow like it's i feel like in Yeah, it's so so common that, that people can just, you know, as indeed with the, the modern studio and with the digital age, we can basically like edit things to death and make what was a, you know, two good takes into one good take and all that kind of stuff. Um, I take it that, that you kind of stay away from all that stuff, right? Yes, um, basically, yes, because I think there... With especially with this kind of music that we're playing uh, with jazz in general, I think it doesn't help the music to be, as you say, edited to death and to be overproduced. Mm -hmm. So, um, of course, it was a risk that I was taking, but I was mentally working on that for quite a while now to be able also on concerts, you know, to play and to allow myself more freedom in the way I approach my own playing. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that kind of prepared me for this recording that I... I had this feeling, okay, um, whatever it's going to be, it's mm. going to be that moment and that's it. And, yeah. um, you know, I mentioned Second Miles Davis Quintet. There are also a lot of recordings of them where you hear they're actually, you know, making a mistake or they're not so together. Yeah. But in the end, uh, that search, that musical search that's happening on these recordings is for me more interesting than uh, that they're exactly metronomically in time or, uh, you know. Yeah. They play the right note at the right time so i'm looking more i'm starting to look more and more for that yeah. uh, in music and then playing yeah no that's interesting and so how do you how did you rehearse for this like did you have a lot of rehearsal time was it have you played i mean you say you change lineups uh, did you get a chance to work with the guys a lot Yeah, with, with Eric, I'm working a lot because he's living in Amsterdam and he's mm -hmm. always really eager to play. So a lot of times, you know, he's just uh, calling me up, hey, hey man, let's get together and, and play and work on some things. So that's great. So yeah. with him, he was also really uh, influential, actually, in, in a lot of the arrangements, how we played it, because we were jamming so much together on these ideas. Yeah. Um, but obviously Marcus in Rome, so uh, we had less time with him. But we had um, in that summer before the recording, we had uh, a three days run in Berlin at a jazz club where we could okay. play three nights in a row. And uh, that was the moment where everything kind of came together. And then yeah. we had, um, I think, one rehearsal actually before the recording and then we went to the studio. So <laughs> it was really minimal time, you know. Yeah. And um, But yeah, I think... The, the music if the music is written in a certain way and uh, everybody has the right um, focus it yeah. doesn't you know uh, as you say you can overproduce things but you can also over rehearse them yeah so, yeah, yeah and so do you feel like because um you recorded this a year ago now right yeah. like it was end of 2016 um which maybe some people seem surprising i mean it's kind of a typical turnover for a jazz record nowadays you record something and it takes that long to 
get everything together and yeah. stuff. But do you feel like in the interim, the music has evolved? Like in what does the moment that you're capturing on stage now resemble the moment that you captured a year ago? Um, no, I think it, it developed because we also played some gigs in, uh, in, in between and... Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it really developed. So, for example, to, uh, like this weekend, we go again to play in uh, in Germany and in Amsterdam. Yeah. And um, we played already two gigs on the CD release tour. And yeah, I feel that it's still developing in a way, you know, because I, I feel that like the improvisational parts, they are being stretched longer, you know, so we're starting to have a uh, few songs in one set because we... Um, you know, we can, like more than on the, one year ago, we can explore certain parts of each song longer because we kind of have more the, you know, we know more the, the red line through the whole concert. Yeah. And so, yeah, we stretch out a lot on uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. on certain parts. No, that's interesting. Would you would you consider making a live record? I mean, it seems to me like your approach would would suit that very well. It's... It's less and less common for people to do that, I suppose. But yeah, actually, that's a great idea. I would love to do that. Absolutely. Uh, it's always my feeling, like, whenever I whenever I record something, by the time I'm there, I'm presenting it to somebody, I feel like I'm not even sure what it is that I recorded anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's that's maybe something to consider. I um, It was... So the, the album was mixed in uh, in Rainbow Studios, right? Yes. Um, the super famous studio in Oslo that... that um, most uh, ECM stuff is, yeah, exactly. is done at. Was that a was that a decision you made that you you wanted that ECM sound? That's such a specific sound, right? Yes, I was really I was really going for that because um, you know also in this whole period of the last two years, um, you know I listened to a lot of ECM, uh, a lot of ECM also from the seventies, uh, hmm. where let's say uh, that particular way of playing playing in the moment, being very free, you know, it's really explored a lot on, on, on in that catalog. Yeah. And I was always a big fan of Jan-Erik Kongshaug, the engineer of uh, ECM, yeah. uh, because he he worked on the sound of, you know, like all these Keith Jarrett records that are uh, my favorite records. And yeah. uh, I love that sound that he's creating because it's so spatial. You yeah. know, it's really, you're immediately in a, he perceives music in a really spatial way. You're immediately in, uh, yeah, in some kind of cathedral <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> when yeah. you listen to these records. And uh, so I thought, um, yeah, why not try a guy like this? Like just, I'm just uh, sending him an email and see how he reacts because, you know, what do you have to lose? And um, so I sent him an email and he said, yeah, he would like to listen before to the uh, rough mixes to decide if he was going to do that. So I sent yeah. him the, the music and uh, yeah, he was really enthusiastic about it. He, you know, he liked it and he said like, yeah, sure, let's, let's work on this. Yeah. So no, that's great, um, and it it certainly fits. Like to my mind, it really fits the style of the music somehow to have that yeah. that that sound, um, which I think a lot of European piano trios would like to achieve that yeah. somehow. But it, it it seems to me like you've really got got that somehow. Um, Thank you. Yeah, the there's one word that comes back a lot in. Um, stuff that I read about you and in your press materials and stuff, which is the word poetry. Um, is that, 
poetry in a literal sense, like as in actual words and written and written word and and stuff, or is it is it one of those words that people use to describe you know the poet of the piano? Or, I don't know. like maybe that's an <laughs> awkward question. But no, 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 no. I understand this question uh, absolutely, and um, yeah, you know, people starting the press started to use that word a lot, you know, and. Um, but I kind of understand why they're doing that because, as I said in the beginning, there's some kind of narration in uh, in my mm -hmm. songs. There's some kind of storytelling going on. Yeah, uh, that's also really important for myself when I when I write music and uh, when I improvise. Um, I would like to um, actually with my music, um, you know, have a really strong storytelling going on, which mm. connects again to these visuals that yeah. you know I have when I compose. Um, so. Yeah, I under understand why that um, word is being used, and um, I don't know if it's poetry in the literal sense, mm -hmm. but I think it hints more, as I said, in the way of uh, the, the compositional approach, yeah, structure, and, and that kind exactly, of thing. Exactly. Yeah, because I can imagine maybe we should talk a bit about your work as a film composer, because it seems to me like your process of like making music for the piano trio is a bit of a reverse process to what it probably is to compose for the for film right um absolutely yeah. you come from i have these images and i have to put music to it and yeah uh, maybe you can talk a bit about that yeah that's absolutely a reversed uh, approach absolutely right uh, i mean if if i work on a movie um first of all you know there are a lot of uh, people that uh, also have an opinion that I have to respect, you know, the mm. director and the whole film team that usually it's like a, almost like a commission that uh, is going to judge my music and yeah. give their opinions. So, um, and it takes a very, very long time until you get, let's say 10 seconds of film until you get the right music for that. Mm -hmm. Very long time because you do a lot of different versions because you have to offer a lot of different music to these guys. Yeah. And then uh, it's narrowed down and uh, it takes really long time. But I mean, it's really, if it clicks with the visuals, it's a really exciting moment uh, if it melts together. But um, I think, yeah, that might be also um, a reason why I did this record because um, that's really the, the contrary approach and it feels very, you know, like um, free to, to yeah. just go to the piano and uh, <laughs> explore in yeah. really in the way you want in that particular moment the music and uh, that kind of freedom I really uh, I need you know as uh, as a opposite to that film music uh, yeah, yeah. work because I can imagine it's a very iterative process in the in the film world yeah. whereas here you come and in one day you record an entire album whereas yeah, yeah. Um, so did, did you get formal training in, in film composing actually? Yeah, actually I did a master here in Amsterdam uh, with, uh, it's a master that is a collaboration between the film academy and the conservatory yeah um, in a very intense study, but really fruitful. Um, and yeah, I did that for two years yeah. with uh, Jure Hanstra. And uh, it's great because um, each year, uh, these directors, they produce three movies each. Mm -hmm. And your job as a student is to compose for these three movies, the, the soundtrack. Yeah. So. And um, is that like you, how much of that has worked into your professional life now? Because I can imagine there's there's quite a difference between like coming from the the student film thing to like is there a scene here for film composing besides the personally i think it's uh it's very um you know it's hard to be a film composer here yeah 
um, because you have also this trend that a lot of things are being done electronically. Yeah. And the real value of real, let's say, for example, orchestral film music mm -hmm. um, is not really appreciated anymore because you have a lot of uh, electronic uh, composers um, yeah. that deliver, you know, there's a lot of film music based on drones. Yeah. And a lot of directors, they actually, if you, I mean, I don't want to talk bad about directors. No, no of course. Also <laughs> uh, work with fantastic directors. But let's say the general vibe in the film world, I sense as a musician, is that they don't want the music to push too much emotionally the film. Mm -hmm. So they're a little bit afraid of that. Yeah. And that's why you get a lot of, um, you know, already existing music being used or electronic music that's kind of creating an environment, yeah. but it's not really film music in the in the real sense of the word. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's kind of hard to get uh, jobs with that, yeah. I have to say. But I did a really nice movie lately. Um, it's called Dancing the Camera. Yeah. Yeah. Was, uh, I wanted to mention that. Um It's with like tap dance, right? Exactly. Um, Marani. I, I worked with her one, uh, a few times. We did some like improv oh, nice. um, I know. sessions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, sorry. Um, tap dancer. Um, yeah. And that, that was a great, great thing because it was, um, you know, it's like a, an homage to silent movies and it's about a tap dancer that's being beamed inside of a movie camera and that dances through all the different mechanics of the camera. Okay. So the... <laughs> <laughs> But it's really also, you know, it was really fun to work on that project, really rewarding musically also to, uh, yeah, to work on that. Yeah. And how did that come about? Like what, what was the connection? Did she contact you or? Yeah, I was already uh, playing with her before. Um, I th yeah, well, the, the connection is that she's the girlfriend of Eric, my drummer. Okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> so very straightforward connection. Yeah. And uh, for a while we had uh, uh, a little project going on, uh, tap dance plus uh, a jazz group um, improvising on Duke Ellington tunes. Wow. Okay. And trying to integrate the tap, not in the traditional tap way, uh, you know, where the band is playing and there's a tap dance featured, there's yeah. a solo section, mm -hmm. but trying to improvise more together. Yeah. So, and we really enjoyed that. And then um, this movie opportunity came up. So. Yeah. Cool. And is that something like, I can imagine that the, there's obviously quite a difference between the world of like music composed for dance and music composed for film. But is that something that you've explored at all? Like working with dance besides this, is it something you'd be interested in doing? Um, yeah, unfortunately I, uh, except this, I didn't really explore that, but I would love to do that yeah. uh, because I really love dance. And also, um, for example, um, when I was studying in Paris, I, um, each week I had to accompany the ballet class. Oh yeah, but it was modern ballet. Mm -hmm. So uh, their job was to react on me what I was improvising. Yeah. So uh, and that was a really great experience. I would love to do more with that also because I really love uh, Pina Bausch. Yeah, of course. So um, yeah, that that would yeah. be very inspiring. Yeah, there's quite a scene here I think for that stuff as well. Um, but yeah, um, so another thing maybe we should touch on is um, you you've been teaching for quite a few years now at the conservatory here. Um, Well, first of all, I suppose, how did that come about? Um, what what stuff are you teaching? How? Yeah, I'm teaching uh, at the pop department at the conservatory uh, theory. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I'm also involved uh, at the jazz department for two years now in the music business and career class. Okay. And uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying that. I mean, for me, coming from the jazz, of course, it was, um, you know... Um, 
yeah first it, it was a challenge to um, to to give these uh, theory lessons because i really needed to find um, a connection with the pop music in the pop world and trying to really you know um, convince the students about the beauty of music theory let's say yeah <laughs> And because usually, you know, music theory can be a very dry subject for a lot of people because musicians, they want to want to play and they want to be on stage. And uh, yeah, of course, for I a lot of them, music theory feels like the, the, the homework that you have to do. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of inspiring for me also to dive into that pop world. And um, and yeah, I, I felt like I learned a lot myself about music by yeah. teaching it. Mm hmm. And you, you've also been involved with like this this new program with like online courses and stuff, yes. right? Yes. Um, is that like that's a brand new thing? You were somewhat somewhat involved in doing that stuff, right? Yes, I did a couple of classes. There's this, uh, yeah, it's called CVI Online. So yeah. um, it has been set up, I think, two years ago, and it offers all these different uh, classes by teachers from the conservatory um, for people outside of the conservatory, or for example, students that, um, live in, let's say Indonesia and yeah. they, they would be interested in taking classes, but it's just too expensive. Yeah. Um, and that has been also an interesting experience and also confronting, you know, because yeah. you have to, uh, uh, you have to teach to a camera. Yeah. That's very, <laughs> like, how do you, without that feedback, it must be really kind of difficult, right? Yeah, it's kind of difficult because yeah, you're talking to the camera and you have to imagine somebody on the other side, mm -hmm. and you have you know you have another barrier to cross. If you're with somebody in a room, you can uh, make a student uh, enthusiastic and uh, and push a student, and now you have to uh, um, yeah transmit that enthusiasm um, being alone in a room with a camera. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so that's also like music theory stuff, and and yeah, I did also a, a jazz piano course. Okay, um, for the True School of Music also in uh, Mumbai. There's also a collaboration going on now. Yeah, okay. So, but it's nice, you know, because I also also have uh, students there. So um, every once in a while we have feedback sessions, and then mm -hmm. uh, you know, for example, these guys in India they present me what they worked on, and I can give some feedback. So uh, you know, it's not just. Um, not just the video, there's also a connection with the students. So what you, it's like a Skype thing or... Yes, or exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. all being done online. Yeah, cool. Um, so I, I guess as we reach the end of the conversation, I always um, like to ask my guests if there's anything they feel like um, they'd like to recommend people check out. And it doesn't have to be music. It can be a book, a movie, maybe a movie... Um, I don't know, um, some exhibition you've been to. Um, it seems to me like you probably have a lot of um, <laughs> extra musical interests. So, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> let me think about this. I mean, what I could really recommend is The Inkel by Alejandro Jodorowsky. Okay, yeah. He's like a, a director and he did some uh, crazy surreal movies in yeah. the 60s. Um, but there's also this amazing comic book of his, okay. The Inkel, and uh, it's really inspiring to read it. So I can just uh, yeah. recommend that also because if you read that thing, you understand where Blade Runner is coming from, Star Wars and all these science yeah, fiction he was, movies. Yeah, he was supposed to direct Dune, right? That's the whole thing. Yeah, and then it it went wrong in all kinds of crazy ways, but there's a whole documentary about that stuff, right? That documentary is also amazing yeah. because uh, Orson Welles was supposed to be in it and they did Mick all these... Jagger yeah. and like <laughs> weird... Um... I would have loved to see that movie. No, definitely. Yeah. Um, That's a great thing, yeah. Cool. It's really inspiring. And also maybe as a second thing, check out North Sentinel Island. 
North Sentinel Island, what's that? It's a, it's an island, an actual island. In okay. The <laughs> <laughs> You're recommending an island. That's I a re- new one for the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually an island in the uh, Indian Ocean okay. that nobody ever really has set foot upon. And there's yeah. a tribe living there uh, since 60,000 years. And okay. they managed to fight off every external influence. Wow. So as soon as there's a helicopter coming, they, they shoot with arrows uh, <laughs> on it. Or if somebody with the boat arrives, they kill these guys immediately. Yeah. There's some really rare footage of this tribe and uh, really crazy stories of shipwrecks uh, on that island uh, that's really uh, interesting wow okay because yeah, yeah it's uh, amazing that these people are living there in 2017 exactly they did like 60,000 years ago yeah yeah so i take it you're recommending people uh, investigate and not necessarily actually go and try to fix, <laughs> go <laughs> to visit no don't go there no um <laughs> So finally, maybe there's, um, we didn't really touch a lot on the, the work that you do as a sideman. Um, is there any projects you want to mention, stuff that you're busy with? Um? Yeah, I mean, I really would like to mention actually uh, the Lubosch Sukop Quartet. It's a Czech saxophone player living in Denmark, and I'm playing with him already for five years. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a really great group. And we just did the record with uh, Lionel Lueke, the oh, guitar great. player from Benin. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, every time I play with this guy and his music, it's very inspiring mm-hmm. because he's also going into that direction in a, in a more you know free approach of uh, improvising and being yeah. in the moment. So, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, Christian, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, and uh, as soon as you know, if anything else new comes out, um, please please come again. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Love to. Thanks. That was Kissing Pabst. Once again, his new record is called Inner Voice. And if you go to soundofthemoment.com, you will find in the show notes links to Kissing's website where you can purchase that brand new album, as well as any of his previous albums. I would like to thank my fellow members of KTO for providing intro and outro music to the show. If you have any questions or comments, um, I love feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can do that on Twitter at Pat Cleaver, and you can also do it on Facebook via the Sound of the Moment page. As usual, the best way to support the show is to keep listening to it, and the best way to do that is to subscribe to it via iTunes or Stitcher or to add it to an RSS reader. Um, And if you do happen to use iTunes or Stitcher, please do take the time and give the show a favorable review or rating. That really does help a lot and it warms my heart. So if you want to make me happy, go ahead and and do that. Finally, um, I'm going to leave you with another track from Christian's brand new trio record, In A Voice. And the following track is called Flabbergasted. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment.